Well, if you've been with us over any of these Sunday mornings and Christmas morning in December, we've gone through Luke's account of the promise of Christ, of the coming of Christ. And the question that this passage puts to us today, or the question that will be put to us at least, is have you really seen this Jesus? Have you really seen this Jesus? On Christmas morning, Ian took us through Luke chapter 2, the early part of this chapter, verses 1 to 20, and we saw how the Christ was born in Bethlehem. We saw how all of the promises of God were fulfilled. We're going to see a bit about that in a few moments. And one of the great things we've learned through these last few sermons is that all of God's promises are to be trusted, aren't they? Because they're true. We can trust the promises of God because they're true. And if you take nothing else away from today, please take that. And we saw the shepherds. We saw how a heavenly host had appeared to them, all praising God and crying out glory to God in the highest and peace on earth amongst men. And we saw the response of those shepherds in verse 15 when they said, let's go. Let's go and see this thing for ourselves. And they'd gone and they'd found the family. They were bursting to tell Mary and Joseph and others exactly what the Lord God had done. An angel appeared to us. And not just one angel, but a whole host from heaven. One thing I think about the shepherds is they didn't mind how daft that story sounded, did they? They just told it like it was. They told it like God had said and they told it like God did. I think we could learn a thing or two about boldness, couldn't we? From the shepherds. Question, have you really seen this Jesus? Those shepherds set me and set you a lesson because they were completely convinced. And when God said, they went and they saw and they believed. And did you notice the effect of their testimony? In verse 18, all who heard the shepherds were amazed. Our testimony can be a very powerful thing, you know. I think we underestimate that sometimes. The things we can say to others in a simple, clear, calm way about the Lord, about what he's done for me, about what he's done for you, that can be powerful, can't it? And so we move on and we're going to see these next events recorded for us in today's passage and these very early days in the earthly life of the Lord Jesus Christ, we've got three things to see from them this morning as we meet again Mary and Joseph and as we meet this man Simeon. The first thing we're going to see is obeying God's word, obeying God's word and we'll largely take that from verses 21 to 24. Now Probably this will be something that's raised next Sunday or on Tuesday night, but it'll be that old topic, won't it? New Year's resolutions. Who's going to have one? Who's going to make one again? Who made one last year and it had been given up by pff, 
I don't know, the 10th of January. Yours might be to go to the gym or whatever. Yours might be to get your park run time down a bit. Yours might be to find a new job. Yours might be something else. Will yours be to read the Bible more and to get to know it better? That would be a great one to take into the new year, wouldn't it? (laughs) To follow God's word more closely, to live according to it more and more. And of course, to obey God's word, what have you got to do? To obey God's word, you've got to know God's word. I would guess probably at least three quarters of the people in this room can drive or are learning to drive. There's a book you've got to read if you want to drive. The book, I'm sure you all know if you don't know there's a problem, the book is the highway code. And if you don't read it properly, you won't know what the signs mean. If you don't read it properly, then when you get to a sign, you'll be guessing what the sign means. You'll mix up your T-junction with your give way. You'll mix up your road narrows with something else. And I wouldn't want to be in the car with you if that happened. Unless, of course, you read the book and you get to know the book and you understand the signs and then you can obey them when you're on the road. There always have been and there are some Christians who don't really seem to think that doing what God's word says is all that important. That's sad. That's wrong. As long as I've got the badge of a Christian, then I'm not going to worry too much about how I need to understand God's word and how I need to work out God's word and how I need to apply it to my life and try to live as God says. That's not the mark of a Christian, is it? But there are others who want to know the word and who want to do what it says and want to live in relationship with God and want to please him always and are the sort of Christians that we read about in Galatians chapter 5 where we read of the fruits of the spirit, things like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control and so on. We're going to meet someone like that in a moment. But let's see how Jesus's parents viewed the requirements of the law in these early days. Verse 21, we're told that after eight days, he was circumcised and he was named Jesus. Why the name? Well, we've seen that already, haven't we, in our studies, because that was the name which the angel had told Mary and Joseph to give to Jesus for he would save his people from their sins. And why was he circumcised? Well, if we just went back one chapter into Luke chapter 1 and verse 59, we'd see how Zachariah and Elizabeth had had their baby circumcised also after eight days, and they had named him John, as they'd been told to do. If you go back to the Old Testament, to the book of Leviticus in chapter 12, In verse 3, we're told on the eighth day, the boy is to be circumcised. They were doing what their law required. 
And that law goes on in Leviticus chapter 12. It says in verse four that the woman had to wait another 33 days to be declared clean after giving birth. She couldn't go into the temple till that time was done. And it goes on in verse six of Leviticus 12. And when the purification time is over, she's to bring to the priest at the entrance to the tent of meeting a one-year-old lamb for a burnt offering and a young pigeon or dove for a sin offering. And he will offer them to the Lord and then she will be ceremonially clean. But, but if she can't afford a lamb, she can bring two doves or two young pigeons, one for a burnt offering and one for a sin offering. Those were the requirements of the law for the people. Question, did Mary and Joseph think we're obviously special because God has spoken to us in this special way that he doesn't speak to other people so we don't need to keep these ordinary requirements of the law, things that just seem to be there to make our lives difficult. Did they think that? No, they didn't think that. They simply obeyed. And we see that they didn't bring a lamb. Perhaps they couldn't afford it. We don't know really a lot about how rich or poor they were. But they brought these two birds to offer. Somebody said to me once, if this had been in Liverpool, there'd have been no shortage of pigeons, would there? <laughs> but they obeyed the law they had. They did it with the means that they had. And notice also when they took Jesus to the temple, his presentation involved a payment, didn't it? He was the firstborn son. He wasn't from the tribe of Levi, so they had to pay about five shekels of silver to get him exempted from temple service. How much was that? Not a huge sum of money, but would have taken, they reckon, a few days work to earn. Somebody here might earn 500 pounds in a week. Somebody there might earn 1,000 pounds in a week, whatever. A sum of money that was enough, a considerable sum to find a price had to be paid. Jesus had to be redeemed in the temple, as was the custom. And of course, much later on, a much greater price would be paid, wouldn't it? As Jesus, our Redeemer, would give his life for us. Here is this Jesus. He was going to be the one to deliver his people, but he didn't ignore the law did he? As Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4 says, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. That is who this Jesus is. He came so that we might have the freedom that we could never earn. But I notice the importance of obeying God's word. Mary and Joseph here, they simply did what God had told them. All the way back through this book, we've seen God telling people to do things and they're done. And they obey. They simply obey. No more, no less. 
even when the command seemed difficult, even when the command seemed far-fetched, even when the implications seemed crazy, they simply obeyed. Question, how do you view God's word? Is some of it optional to you? Is it okay if it's the bits that you like, but not if it's the bits you don't like? Later on in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul writes that all scripture is given by God and is useful, is useful, is profitable for many things, for teaching, for rebuking, for training, for instruction in living right, righteousness. Is that how you view God's word? At the end of our reading, we were told that Mary and Joseph had done everything required of them by the law. Have you seen this Jesus? Have you seen him in his word? He kept the law perfectly, didn't he? But we couldn't. That's why we need him. He said in Matthew chapter 5 that he hadn't come to abolish the law or the prophets to, but to fulfill them. So shouldn't we take God's word seriously if that's what he does? Shouldn't we take God's word seriously if it gives us all the instruction and the direction and the equipping that we need? Shouldn't we take God's word seriously if it tells us what God is like and how he is to be approached and how he is to be worshipped? Wouldn't that be a great resolution for 2020? to get to know this book better than we know it now. Secondly, the second thing we see in this passage is patiently trusting in verses 25 and 26, patiently trusting. Here we meet this man, Simeon. What do we know about him? Not a lot. In, in verse number terms, but we know quite a bit about his character, don't we? Was he a priest? It doesn't say. Was he important in the temple? It doesn't really say. We've just got these few verses to get to know him. So what sort of man are you, Simeon? Well, there's two words used about him in these verses that I think most of you would like to have used of you. We're told that he's righteous. We're told that he's devout. Who else was described as righteous? Well, we've seen in these studies already that Mary and Joseph were, Matthew chapter 1, verse 19. Zachariah and Elizabeth were, Luke chapter 1 and verse 6. Would your mates, would your family, would your work colleagues describe you and me as righteous? Hmm, challenge. And if someone was described as devout, what would you associate with that? Devout. Devoted, maybe. Fervent, consistent, dedicated. Maybe all of those. Wouldn't you like Simeon's in the church, in this church? 
Wouldn't it be great if we were all like Simeon? Someone who would simply want to do what God wants them to do. Someone who would do what they have to do diligently, faithfully, consistently, regularly. When people looked at Simeon, they saw these qualities, righteous or just, as you might have it in your version, and devout. What was he doing? What was he doing? He was waiting. He was waiting, we're told. What was he waiting for? We're not very good at waiting in this country, are we? We like things now. Everything has to be instant. He was waiting, the Bible says, for the consolation of Israel. Well, what does that mean, you might ask? Ian preached on this passage this time last year, and he went into a lot of the background in a lot more detail than I'll do today. So go home and listen to that sermon for some more background. But let's take a quick look at the state of the nation. Some of you love to look at Newsnight. Some of you love to watch Question Time and analyse what's going on in the country. Well, here, things weren't that great for the people at that time either, were they? They had a bit of a loss of independence. Not quite a Brexit situation going on there, but still. They had a cruel leader. They had King Herod, who the Bible describes in not very flattering terms. Not a leader you might have liked to have been under. Whatever you think of Boris, whatever you think of Jeremy, King Herod was cruel. And in the country, you had religion being presented as something which was only acceptable if it was done in a certain way. You had legalistic religious teachers who said it was their way or no way. You had nothing much coming from what we would say is the true church. Hmm. Did I just describe Britain now or did we describe things back then? People say this book is outdated. It's up to date as you like. But yet still, in Simeon's day, at this time, in the midst of what many would see as darkness and despair, there were a few people. There were a few people who were faithfully waiting and hoping and hopefully looking forward to something. They were waiting for something to happen for Israel. They were waiting for the Messiah to come. Why did they think he would come? Well, there was prophecy. It had been said. God had said it. And it was written down in what we know as the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14, for example. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Or Isaiah chapter 9, which we read in the carol service. For unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given and so on. You could look at many more, Isaiah chapter 11 or Isaiah chapter 40. But God had made a promise to the people. He would send a Messiah. He would send a Redeemer. 
So how should God's people view God's promises? How do you view God's promises? God's people should trust and hold to God's promises because if we don't do that, it's as if we're saying the promise is not going to come true. And it's doubting the word of the one who made the promise. Here is Simeon, one of these faithful few, trusting, waiting, hoping, crying out to God. And there's something else that's definitely worth noticing about Simeon. In verse 26, it says it had been told him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die until he had seen the Christ. How do you imagine this man? Stuart mentioned him in the carol service, didn't he? Was he old? Most people probably imagine that he was. Doesn't actually really say. Whatever age he was, he'd been given this fantastic promise that before he died, he would see Christ. He would see the Saviour. He would see the one he'd spent however many years waiting and hoping and trusting the promises of God for. Even perhaps when all of those around him might have said to him, give up on that. What are you waiting for that for? It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. People ever said that to you? People said that to Noah, didn't they? When he was building his ark. What are you doing? It's not going to happen. The faithful few trust and hold the promises of God. Do you hold the promises of God? Is it tough to do that when you go into school, when you go into university, when you go into the working environment and people go, what do you believe that for? It's so outdated. God's people trust God's promises and trust what he said in his word. And Simeon had been given this wonderful promise that before he died, he would see Jesus Christ. He would have the privilege of holding in his arms the Messiah, the one in whom all their prayers and hopes and focus had been pointed towards. And so Simeon, man of God, righteous and just and devout, you're going to see God's salvation. He would see this salvation of God for himself before he left this world. What a blessing. What a blessing that was. And are we so willing to keep trusting God patiently, even when difficult days come for you, as they will, as they may have done already, even when many around us may give up hope, are you willing to hold on to the promises of God? Read some of the articles and bulletins you may get through of how Christians in other countries are having to face these days in 2019. 2020 might be a difficult year for many of your brothers and sisters, not just here, but around the world. Keep trusting, keep holding, keep confident in the word and the promises of God because he is faithful. And then thirdly, seeing Jesus. 
because in verse 27 onwards now this event comes to be for Simeon he's had this promise and now Mary and Joseph come and they bring this child into the temple and Simeon perhaps this elderly faith but certainly faithful believer he sees them and he takes Jesus into his arms and he blessed God and the Bible tells us what he said now Lord you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word for my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared before the face of all the people Simeon knew that this was God's promised deliverer he knew because God's spirit had told him that's incredible isn't it and Simeon knew that those years of faithful and patient waiting hoping praying trusting for the Messiah to come had now come to a fulfillment because he had come and now says Simeon God it's it's time you're releasing me in peace I can die comforted because of what you have done and what you have promised Simeon was certain that this was the Christ are you have you seen this Jesus and look what he says in verses 30 to 32 that Jesus will be. He says Jesus will be salvation. He says it will be for all the peoples, before the face of all peoples. He says that he will be a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people Israel. Jesus brings salvation. It's a bit of an ironic picture, perhaps, you might think. Here's this faithful Jewish man standing in his temple, holding this child and proclaiming that Jesus would be salvation, not just to the Jewish people, but also to the Gentiles. All those around, all those out there. And Simeon's song, as we regard it, says that the Gentiles will now receive the light that they will see, that they will understand, that they'll see things they haven't seen before, that they'll understand things they, they couldn't understand before. That's what happens when you see who this Jesus is. That's what happens when a person is converted, you know. A man or a woman or a boy or a girl looks at the Bible, perhaps listens to sermons, they sort of understand what the preacher is going on about. They see stories in the Bible and yes, yeah, some of it's nice. Some of it makes a bit of sense, but they haven't seen how it impacts them here and here. They haven't seen why it's personal. They don't understand what Jesus means to me. And so what I need to do before him. They don't understand how they should approach God. Or what they should say to him. But then something happens. Mysteriously. Perhaps quietly in the background in places like this. People have prayed. And people have prayed. And people like Simeon have prayed and prayed. And been faithful. And suddenly. You find promptings in you that you can't explain. You want to know more. You want to 
understand more and you find that you understood something that you couldn't see before then your view of who Jesus is changes and you want to come to him and when people have told you that he came into this world as we've seen and that he came into this world because he was going to die and he would die upon a cross and die a cruel death and that he would take upon himself the punishment that we deserve and you know that's for you And when you hear from the Bible that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes on him should not perish but should have everlasting life, you know that's speaking to you. And you come. And you come just as you are and you throw yourself at his feet as it were and upon his mercy and you say, Lord, I am sorry for what I have done. Will you forgive me? Will you help me to understand your word more? Has something like that been your experience? Is this something that you still need to do to see who this Jesus is? See, God promised many years ago that the Messiah would come. And he has. And Simeon recognized who this Jesus is. Have you? And finally, Simeon tells us something else that Jesus would do in verses 33 to 35. And basically, you can put it like this. He says there's no sitting on the fence with this Jesus. Because he says he would cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. He would be a sign which is spoken against. And the thoughts of many hearts would be revealed. You see, when Jesus came... And when his ministry began, his preaching and teaching would cause a reaction, wouldn't it? In fact, two reactions. And that's what happens when the gospel is really preached. You'll see those same two reactions even today. Some people will reject him. Some people, in God's grace, will accept him. And those who rejected Jesus will fall if they don't turn and repent. Those who accept Jesus will rise. They'll be accepted and welcomed into the kingdom, invited to the great feast. And Jesus taught this lesson plenty, didn't he? That there would be two groups of people. Just one example that might come to your mind is in Matthew chapter 7. Therefore, whoever hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. When the rains came and the streams rose and the winds blew and they beat upon the house, and yet it did not fall because it was set on the foundation of the rock. That was in the hymn we just sang. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. And the rains came, and the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Some would rise, and some would fall. And Simeon also says that this child would be a sign. What do signs do? They point somewhere. They tell you something. This child was a sign from God the Father because he had been sent to do 
his father's will. And he says that he would be spoken against, that people wouldn't want to hear what he taught and what he claimed. You don't need to turn very far, a couple of pages in Luke's gospel to chapter four, and you'd see how Jesus was teaching in the synagogue. And yet some of those who heard him tried to take him up to the top of a cliff and tried to kill him. And Jesus was able to walk through the midst of them. But that's the sort of reaction that his teaching provoked. Some would hear and be glad. Others would hear and burn with rage. How dare he say that about me? Reactions. Reactions. Jesus met one of the religious teachers at night once. He asked Jesus who he was and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God. But Jesus said to that man, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Reactions. There's no sitting on the fence as far as this Jesus is concerned. Have you seen him? Have you seen this Jesus? There's no hiding from God either because the verse here says that the thoughts of our hearts are revealed for him to see. He knows what you think. He knows what you're thinking right now. He knows what you think of this Bible passage that we're looking at together and he knows what you think of this Jesus. We can't sit on the fence. Have you seen this Jesus? What do you think of his word? Do you obey his word? Are you patiently trusting? Are you waiting and hoping? And can you say, as we're going to sing in a moment, what gift of grace is Jesus, my redeemer? There is no more for heaven now to give. He is my joy, my righteousness, my freedom, my steadfast love, my deep and boundless peace. Because if we know these things, if we have a living hope, then it is not of me, but it's because of Christ in me.